0: make sure that you cull the wasted ad spend. That is where you're really going to turn your ad account around. I often say to people, the first month or two running paid traffic, you have to get into the mindset of your buying data. This is an investment. It's not an expense. It's an investment in buying data. And then you're going to interpret that data and identify the waste because we've done number one of where we've set up the proper tracking. We're going to turn that off. And then we're going to reinvest that money into what has worked.
1: This is Super Fast Business with James Shranko. James helping you build your business super fast. 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 James Framco here. Welcome back to superfastbusiness.com. Today, we're back into one of our favorite topics, which is a traffic and conversion theme topic. I've brought back my special guest, Alana Wexler from teachtraffic.com. Welcome to the call.
0: Thank you so much, James. It is always a pleasure to come on your show.
1: Well, I love to get in touch with what's happening because as time sort of passes by, you've been working very closely with multiple platforms and across all different industry types. And I think your ad spend now, getting up into the deck of millions, has let you see really great data and information. Certainly I'm not getting access to that directly. So by bringing someone like you onto the show, we can just peek under the hood of a high performance agency ad spend and see what's actually working. So we put together a very special episode It's the seven lessons learned from a $20 million ad spend over multiple industries that you think would apply for pretty much any account who's on a platform. And why don't we just dive in there with number one, what's the first big lesson you've learned from all of the ads you've run and the spend you've made that you think could apply to everyone?
0: Yeah, exactly. So I'm not sure if your listeners are aware. I have run a PPC agency for the last seven, probably even eight years now, and so There are lessons learned along the way. So uh, that's what obviously we're going to cover in this episode. So the first thing that really regardless of what industry you operate in, whether you're e-commerce or a service business or an information product business, the first thing that you need to do is you need to have the proper tracking set up. And I know this is a sticking point for so many people, and many, many people struggle with setting up the right traffic or they struggle to think about what kind of tracking do they need to set up So you have to think about, I say, what's called your macro conversions, like what are your big picture events that you're wanting to measure. For for e-commerce, it would be a sale. For lead generation, it would be someone contacting you, as well as what's called your micro conversions. What are the steps before that are leading up to your macro conversion? So you need this proper tracking in place in order to then, you know, once you've spent X amount of dollars, determine whether your ads have been successful or not. I audit ad accounts all the time inside Teach Traffic for members and I can't tell you how many people when they come in, they haven't set up any kind of tracking and it's like, well, we can't optimise this if we don't know what's worked and what hasn't worked. So there's a reason, lesson number one, (laughs) because without the proper tracking, you're really flying blind.
1: It's like driving a car with no fuel gauge. Yeah. Like you just have no idea if you're about to run out or you've got a whole tank left. Like, it's a lot of stress and drama. It must be an enormous amount of wastage when you're trying to run ads without the proper tracking
0: well that's right and i think that's why advertising online has been so popular and it's grown so much is because you've got the transparency to see what has worked and equally important what hasn't worked so you can stop wasting money on what hasn't worked and pour that money into what is working and so it's a reallocation of funds in the right possible way but without that information It's literally impossible to optimize your ad account. And so one of the most common things that people have said to me over the years when they've come to me either at Teach Traffic or in my agency is like, I've spent all these money on ads and I've got no idea if it works. So online advertising solved that exact problem, but yet people don't realize they have to go to that next step of setting up the tracking in your ad accounts, so you've got that
1: info. Now you said setting up the tracking in the ad account, do we need any other tools or do we just use the tool the platform provides?
0: You can just use the tool that the platform provides. If you're doing Google ads, if you've set up what's called goals in analytics, you can even import those goals into your Google ad account, obviously facebook and google are not friends so you can't do that on the facebook side of things so it is an extra step that you need to do but you can yet absolutely just use the tracking in those ad accounts and also set up goals in analytics as well
1: great and then beyond that there'll be some third party tools that you could use that will help you track all of your ads and even your non paid campaigns like particular emails social media organic posts etc if you want to go down that path but as a minimum you're saying number 1 If you're not doing at least the platform level tracking that they provide you, then just don't bother with paid traffic. Is pretty much what I'm hearing.
0: I would say so, yeah, because then you just don't know if it's working or not, and you're just going to waste all this money, which is been really sad.
1: So they should stop blaming the Facebook ad rep that they were using or the agency who didn't get them a result. If they were never tracking, then it's fundamentally that's like the first line of responsibility.
0: Absolutely, hundred percent.
1: Okay, great. What about number two? Big lesson number two.
0: Big lesson number two is starting out is to focus on intent. I mean, you know, intent online is so powerful and it's often the best starting point because I'm of the belief and I'm not sure if I think many people would agree with me that um, if you can't convert people who have exhibited intent online, then there's a problem with perhaps your website converting people, etc. So for example, what I mean by intent is you know, Google shopping ads or Google search ads. Someone's literally gone to Google and typed in your exact product or service that you sell. You're sliding your business card under the nose of someone at literally the instant that they have searched for it. At the very least, you want to make other sales or leads from that type of traffic. Now, you might find that, you know, search traffic might be too not cost-effective enough and it's unprofitable, but it's the perfect starting point to test if your website is doing its job of converting people into leads or customers.
1: Right. So if you've actually set up your goals and you're on traffic, you can just determine if people will actually buy. Even if you're not being able to break even, you've tested the commercial intent I love this one so much. I mean, a huge part of what I do is focus on intent, and it's how I started my online business, was going after people who had a problem that I knew how to solve with the software I was recommending as an affiliate, and I only built a list of buyers. I didn't even have an opt-in for freebies on my site for the first few years. I only built a list of buyers who had validated their purchase. They'd just purchased something for $200. And I got to collect their name by giving them their bonus for buying through my link. And that original list of buyers gave me all the rest. So can you give me an example of not intent? What's the opposite of an intent campaign that you might have seen people try and run?
0: A Facebook ad campaign, right, for a product that people don't know exists and they're just trying to force their way in front of them to say, hey, have you considered this? This is my awesome product. And I'm not saying not to do that. And sometimes you have to do that when there is no intent for your type of product or service. But something where, you know, people don't go to Facebook to buy brake pads or <laughs> I don't know.
1: Injury lawyer.
0: Injury lawyer. Exactly. You know, they've gone to Facebook to participate in some groups and chat to their friends and sort of for some light entertainment. That's not to say that doesn't work for some types of businesses, but if you have the possibility of participating in intent-type traffic, in my experience, it's the perfect starting point, as I said, to test if you can actually convert these people into customers. So particularly for e-commerce, where Google Shopping ads are fantastic, uh, search ads Or, you know, if you've got a service type business like a dentist or a chiropractor, you know, someone's gone to Google and typed in, you know, dentist Bondi near me or whatever, you know, dentist near me and you're in that suburb. So those are very, very high intent based queries and a really good starting point.
1: So if you're doing interruption marketing, you're trying to you know, capture attention where they don't really know about your product, you're trying to spend money to educate them, then that's going to be probably a slower way to figure out if you've got buyers or not. Where do you sit with things like a shopping cart abandonment campaign on Facebook? Is that an intent campaign?
0: That is an intent campaign. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just wanted to clarify that. Okay. That makes a lot of sense to me. Focus on people who intend to buy.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And I think, you know, Amazon advertising platform is another great example of a very intent. Yes. People go to Amazon to buy things. So if you sell a product on Amazon, it makes sense to have Amazon PPC campaigns going
1: on. Anyway. I agree with that. It's one of the few ongoing campaigns that I've been enjoying for a while now. It's like, it just makes sense. Amazon is somewhere you go to buy things. Exactly. So lesson number three.
0: Lesson number three is... Probably something which has really become more and more apparent in the last you know twelve to eighteen months, which is to really lean into these algorithms or these pixels that are on these ad platforms. So if we take the Google ad platform, firstly, an example of their algorithm is their automated bidding, which has really, really improved over, as I said, the last 12 to 18 months. So what I mean specifically is typically on the Google side of things, it was you pay for a click. And so it was an auction where people would set their maximum amount that they're willing to spend per click. But they've really developed their what's called automated bidding, which you are handing over the bidding range to Google. So when you start getting conversion data going through your account, going back to number one of setting up the right tracking, when you've set up those conversions, Google knows what you want. When you have more than 30 conversions in a 30 day period, you can say to Google, hey, Google, all right. You go ahead and you automate the bidding for me. You decide what you're going to pay for a click based on different people and all, all the signals that you're getting in your algorithm. And it actually works very, very well. So there's a number of different automated bidding strategies you can do. One that I probably like the most is target CPA bidding, where you say to Google, here's my ideal cost per lead, go away and find people at that level. And if it has enough conversion data going through its system, it is pretty good at getting there. So that's on the Google side of things. That's what I mean by leaning into the pixels. And on the Facebook side of things, That is obviously lookalike audiences are very, very good as well as what's called CBO or campaign budget optimization, where you're kind of similar to the automated bidding. You're saying to Facebook, here's the budget that I want to spend. You spread it out amongst all the ad sets and you decide which ad set deserves more budget than another one based on performance.
1: Great. Yeah. Uh, We're seeing um, them using AI in this back end now, you think?
0: Absolutely. And this is exactly where it's going. On the Google side of things, the AI is in audience building as well as Facebook as well. So really, this is where it's heading, which is why it's so important to lean into these pixels and almost you've got to get enough data going through it for them to learn who you want. And then actually your performance actually just gets better and better. So it's the ad accounts that don't spend a lot of money that actually can't use these automated bidding strategies that kind of struggle the most, actually.
1: Quite interesting, right? So, they call that seasoning the pixel
0: exactly.
1: And once you train the pixel up and it knows what to do, it can be powerful. And then, of course, as the business owner, you can work on increasing your product profitability so you can afford to pay more for your leads. And you can then go back into that sort of auction war and you can have a stronger pixel working for you that can spend more than someone else's pixel out there, that's
0: right. Yeah, and you know, on the Facebook side of things, like once. Facebook gets enough data going through the ad account, what you'll find is actually the targeting side of things is actually quite secondary. You're dealing with large audiences, often just a lookalike audience, and then you just focus on the creative side of things and then it just completely takes off. One thing I do want to mention on this, I see many people do, is let's say they've got two different types of businesses that are completely unrelated to each other. They will try and run the ad account of both businesses through that one ad account. So you don't want to do this. For separate businesses with separate customer avatar and separate products, they must be separate ad accounts because it's going to confuse the pixels
1: sounds a lot like SEO as well, like, you know, like themed silos and, you know, taking advantage of segmentation and relevance. Now, when you said lookalike audience, that's an audience made up of who the platform thinks looks very similar to your actual customer, but is not currently a customer, right?
0: Exactly. So you're essentially giving Facebook an audience, a group of people. So say you create an audience of all your website visitors in the last 180 days, which is the maximum allowable retargeting audience size. You can say, hey, Facebook, I want you to take this list of people of everyone who's come to my site in the last 180 days and all the behaviours of these people and the attributes that they have create an audience of people that exhibit similar characteristics but are not these people. So you can do that for your website traffic. You can upload your database to create a lookalike audience of your database. You can create a lookalike audience of the people who've engaged with your Facebook page. You can create a lookalike audience of people who've watched videos on Facebook. I mean, it's pretty crazy the level of granularity you can go to.
1: When you said you need to spend more money or a lot of money to get this working really well, what does a lot of money look like? That is a good question.
0: And it actually depends on, are we talking on
1: Facebook? You can set the rules.
0: (laughs) The answer is it really depends, actually, because I have seen ad accounts that haven't had to spend nearly the amount of money that others would have to get similar results. And it depends on how rabid your market is, you know. I know in the pet space that is a very, very rabid market and so the cost per clicks are way cheaper and the cost per leads are cheaper because it's a very, as I said, a very passionate industry and so therefore they don't have to spend as much it's more a ref- i wouldn't say it's a reflection on amount you've spent but more a reflection on engagement on your ads as well as traffic going through the pixel
1: and how at risk are we that this technique might not be as effective in the future with regards to the changing of privacy policies or technology i think i was hearing some discussion around cookies and so forth changing does this threaten this type of activity? Is it, like, is it the heyday at the moment?
0: I believe it is, and who knows what's going to happen. You know, it's anyone's guess. It's currently going through the courts right now in America with all this kind of stuff. So we don't really know what's happening, and I think that's why it's actually really important to always be, as you say, James, I'm a big advocate of your philosophy of own the race course, send people to your website And ultimately, we're going to get to later, but, you know, the King Kong is actually building your email list and getting people off these ad platforms,
1: you know. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of that. Let's talk about number four.
0: Number four is that you really... Really need good copy and good creative. I mean, it's just imperative now. I see this all the time where people are always so focused on their targeting and, you know, micro targeting and targeting these small audiences and excluding these people and, and they're focusing on the wrong thing. By far in a way, targeting is important, of course, but creative and copy is so, so important to the success of your ads. It is a war of attention out there. And if you can't hook people in with good copy so that people feel like you're reading their mind, then they're just going to scroll past. I mean, if you imagine yourself on Facebook on your phone, you know, your thumb is scrolling through, you know, so you have to stop people in their tracks. You need a good image if you're running an image ad on Facebook. You need a good landing page. You need a good headline. You just kind of can't get away with bad copy and bad creative anymore.
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. I see this a lot as a coach I'm sure as a Facebook agency or a pay per click agency, I should say, because you work on multiple platforms, you would get a lot of people bringing to you a rubbish offer or crappy copy and they want you to be a miracle worker. Yeah. I see this as a coach. People come to me, their thing's not selling and they want me to help them fix it. I mean, they should be investing in copy first because without that offer that converts, there's no money in the business to do anything else. And I've invested in good copy for my website, for my emails. And I either get involved myself, I'm actually in the trenches with my team lately, just tuning up even our blog posts and our little social media snippets have to be a level above where they were a year ago, because I think there is inflation. I've got a a partner member, Kevin Rogers has copychief.com. That's a place people can go if they really want to learn copy properly and brush up on it. There's plenty of really experienced people in there who help out with campaigns one of my other partners has given away a copy course for free to help people tune their sales page. Because again, we've seen people focusing on their technical bits, like spending a lot of time making their product or uploading their modules or whatever, or then worrying about the tech. But at the end of the day, the bridge between getting someone from that platform to the shopping cart to buy is the copy. That offers up at 10xpro.io forward slash sale copy. But anyway, Copy is absolutely critical. I think it's probably the number one skill that you need to have. I mean, for me, luckily, sales was a skill I brought to the online game. But copy is just salesmanship in print, according to some resources. And you either have to learn it or hire someone who's really good at it. And there's plenty of people around you can hire. I'm surrounded by them in my own community. In fact, in Superfast Business, I think there's a bunch of people who specialize in just sales pages, email copy. Ad copy is an important one. And you said the creative as well. You've got to have the good pictures and it all has to marry up, doesn't it? From the ad through to the page, through to even the checkout to the post-sale purchase to avoid refunds, the emails that glue it all together. If you happen to run a membership, you need to be in constant contact with your audience to retain that sale, which increases your lifetime customer value, which means you can go and tell your pixel to pay more for each ad. <laughs> like it's all built around great copy. And I know you've seen a big lift when you upgraded com website with better design and better copy. It helped you translate what you're actually doing for your customers. I mean, I knew you had an amazing product. Your customers rave about it and you helped me with my own campaigns. But when you can actually get that strained and encapsulated onto a page that actually means something to someone, then that's when the magic happens. So copy, big tick in the box for that.
0: Yeah, and- um- As I'm no copywriter by any stretch of the imagination, you know, English was never my strong suit at school. I was a numbers person. So it's something that I did struggle with, and will continue to struggle with, but it's I am going to be a life learner of copy. I've got a number of copywriting books which I'm learning from. I, as you mentioned, I hired a copywriter to help me. I have hired many before it because it's so important. Like if you don't nail that copy, then it's really money down the drain. Like no amount of good targeting is going to make your ads work.
1: You know, and a lot of people will say I can't afford a copywriter. Well, I just don't think your business is going to get far unless you either learn copy or hire one because you can't get the offer that converts working. You can't get that ad that's going to actually get your return on investment without great copy. And I think you hinted at it before. It's really important to have the right people you're actually selling to as well. It's like even a medium copy offer to the right audience will usually do better than an amazing copy offer to the completely wrong audience. So you still have to have the right audience You have to have the right segmentation. And what you're offering has to be really relevant for your audience. It's then it's the copy is just how you convey that. It's just kind of like, as we talked about in my Rob Hanley series, it's the market, it's the offer, and then it's the copy. And they all have to line up for you to get the results. So let's talk about number five.
0: Number five is to make sure that you cull the wasted ad spend. That is where you're really going to turn your ad account around. I often say to people, the first month or two running paid traffic, you have to get into the mindset of your buying data. This is an investment. It's not an expense. It's an investment in buying data. And then you're going to interpret that data and identify the waste because we've done number one of we've set up the proper tracking. We're going to turn that off. And then we're going to reinvest that money into what has worked. So on the Google side of things, what I mean by culling waste is if you're running search ads or shopping ads, adding negative keywords to prevent your ads from showing for things that you don't want. If you're running a retargeting campaign or display campaign or even a YouTube campaign, excluding certain placements that are consuming too much budget that aren't converting, uh, no mobile apps, uh, there's millions of them, etc. And on the Facebook side of things, identifying creative, which are not converting as well, as well as audiences. So it's a process, as I said, of culling the waste and reinvesting that money that you would have continued to spend on waste into what is working. And this is, as I said, where you're going to turn your ad account around.
1: I love this so much. This is the 80-20. You start with the whole lot and then you work out where the real performers are and get rid of the rest. So it's an 80-20 philosophy. I remember when I was originally studying from one of the guys who was big back in the day, it was Perry Marshall, and he taught this strategy of peel and stick. Yep. And you would peel out your best campaigns and stick them up as new ones, which effectively dumping the ones that didn't work. Now he's a fan of 8020 as well. I think you've really stepped in and just gone, you know, you've become the current expert on this. You really know your stuff when it's talking about multiple platforms in particular. That's where I think you've transcended the rest of the pack. And the same philosophy applies. I mean, you've actually been helping with my Amazon ads lately. And I don't know if you've publicly announced that, but I think you're going into that market as well. Because what have you got? Google ads, and that will include search and GDN, right? And then you've got Facebook, YouTube, And now I think Amazon coming in, you're the one place to go to, to to pull this whole puzzle, make sense of it. And the principles apply. Like even when you took on my Amazon account, you would have seen I'd started negative placements. I was exporting spreadsheets, seeing which phrases mean, you know, have absolutely nothing to do with the book that I'm selling. And then we exclude the engine from bidding on them because it's just wasted money. So if you had never done this, If you don't currently have a negative keyword list in your campaign and you just did that, then you'll probably significantly reduce your ad spend and still make exactly the same number of actual sales. Is that right?
0: That's exactly right. Yep. So same number of sales, just less spend. But really the end goal is that's part one. But part two is hopefully more spend and more sales because we're focusing on what is working. But, you know, as you said, yeah, you touched on Amazon and I am definitely starting to spend a lot more time on there and incorporate that into my whole paid traffic puzzle concept because it makes sense to take what keywords are working on Amazon PPC and apply them on Google because it's the same customer. It's the same type of search activity that people are doing just on different platforms and incorporating that.
1: And for me, it was like, well, if I've got a book and people go to Amazon to buy books, that has to be just such a straightforward, obvious place for me to boost the book sales where I'm right in front of a commercial buyer, they're going there to buy a book and I can have my book show and if I can make the numbers work, then I can actually increase that top of funnel, you know, the upstream for whatever comes down the line. Mm. So I think anyone who has a published book on Amazon... Like forgetting the e-commerce crowd and all of that, but this is sort of the less obvious market. I think that there's a lot to be gained from running the ads, and I really found out about this from Alan Dib, who has a top-selling marketing book, The One-Page Marketing Plan, and he was showing me how it was working well for him. So I do give him credit for putting me onto this, and I give you credit for helping me out with um, you know my best efforts at a startup campaign. But the thing is, unless you want to be doing it full time, like you do, Alana it's not really worth a business owner's time to be trying to figure this out the expensive and slow way. You should join teachtraffic.com and have Alana show you exactly what to do. And importantly, she'll show you exactly what not to do. And that's when you start turning off the things you were doing that are not going to lead anywhere. That's where the power comes. That's where the return on investment in the membership comes. Now, leaning towards your real strength, I I see as your real strength, Alana, let's talk about number six.
0: Number six is making the channels work together. So I, as you alluded to, James, I am a big big fan of using the platforms together at at the very, very least from a retargeting point of view. Someone comes to your website, maybe from a Facebook ad or a YouTube ad, it makes sense to continue the conversation across multiple platforms because they didn't buy your product or become a lead or buy your book straight off the back. It doesn't mean that they're not interested. It just might mean that life kind of got in the way a little bit. And so it makes sense to retarget on multiple platforms, and there will be insights that you can draw from these retargeting campaigns on multiple platforms. I talked about my philosophy with this at your event this year, even though we're sort of at the end of 2020. um, It's probably the last event that happened in 2020.
1: It was March, March the 12th and 13th, 2020. That seems like a decade ago.
0: It does. It
1: really does. But tell me how much of your presentation, which is inside Superfast Business and no doubt it's somewhere in your site, how relevant is that information still?
0: It is absolutely relevant. And I kind of go through my philosophy of how to bring in the platforms to work together so you're really optimizing for that one customer, which is obviously you're trying to get more customers. You could probably visit teachtraffic.com slash puzzle where I kind of talk about that whole paid traffic puzzle concept that I came up with, which is really seven years of knowledge distilled into one course of how to draw insights from one platform and apply it successfully to another platform. Like if we go back to what you were talking about before with your Amazon PPC ads, right, for your book, you know, there are insights that you can draw from your Amazon PPC ads. For example, for your book. When you make sales on another person's listing of a book, right, multiple sales, as I've Mm. seen in your account.
1: I do. There's particularly one there that I make lots of sales of.
0: That's right. Exactly. So this particular author, let's call him, you know,
1: Bob Smith, I should get Bob Smith on my podcast and maybe he could tell his audience about it.
0: That's exactly right. (laughs) Why don't you target Bob Smith's Facebook page, right? That makes sense. Hmm. He has your customers. You could target his YouTube channel if he allows Google ads on there, right? So there are insights that you can draw that you can leverage from one platform onto another. And obviously, I go into this in depth, but it's just such low-hanging fruit. For really, whatever type of business that you have, e-commerce, lead gen, info products, et cetera, you know.
1: You're such a good data nerd. I love it because this is what makes you platform agnostic. You're in love with the data and the jigsaw puzzle of making it all work. That's what ticks your buttons, doesn't it? It's like, yes, you get to take that information and then turn in something. It's what you used to do for a living before you came online. And that's where I think the limitation with some of the educators out there in the paid traffic space, they sort of know their thing, but they're looking in a sort of microscopic view and they're missing the bigger picture. I dare say there's bigger wins by taking the low hanging fruit in multiple platforms than there is in just going deep on one platform. And I've recently seen one marketing educator pretty much just pull out of Facebook. He's like, I'm done with Facebook. I'm over it. I'm not touching it anymore. And he's going all in on Google, I think. And it's kind of a shame in a way because I'm sure there's still really great low-hanging fruit available on Facebook if you know how to make them play, which clearly he doesn't. So fantastic. And I think number seven, We sort of alluded to that earlier, but this is like doubling down on making the platforms talk. This is really the next level and the end game, I think, which was kind of the start game if you go back to the early internet history, but it hasn't really changed even in 2020. This is still fundamental. Let's talk about number seven.
0: Number seven, and people might not expect this from me, being an ad person, is to use ads to build your email list. As I said, I'm an ad person, right? It's unusual coming from an ad person to say to build your email list as your priority. But in these uncertain times where who knows what's going to happen in terms of, you know, government policies that are being introduced. I'm a big fan of Own the Race Course, James, and that is the King Kong is to build your own database. Obviously, use the ad platforms in order to do that, but get these, get people onto your email list so that you own that database, and then you can control where you want to upload that database to what ad platform. And an extension of that is also, I like to use ads with email marketing. So for example, say you've got 5,000 people on your email database, you upload that list to Facebook when you send out a promotion via email big mistake so many people do is as soon as someone's on their email list, they never show them an ad again because they think, why should I spend money on this person? They're on my email list. That is really flawed thinking. In my opinion, we will always combine ads with email marketing for those offers so that many people share it. They tag their friends in it on social, et cetera. So it makes sense to do both. So yes, use ads to build your email list, but then also combine ads with email marketing.
1: Oh, That's such an important one. It's like, Sharing is like the ultimate where you get a paid ad that people actually put in front of other people. And the sharing really leverages your ad spend. It builds your social proof. It finds other people who are similar that might start following you for a down the track purchase.
0: I did this with a client a lot actually. When they came to me, they were running ads for a free video course and then, you know, they never showed them ads after that. And then at the end of the free video course, they had an offer for their membership. So literally all we did was turn on the ads for the offer at the end of the video course. And there was a massive, massive boost in sales because what ended up happening is we all know email open rates are not 100%. So not everyone was seeing the offer, number one. And number two, The people who did see the ad, maybe even were the buyers, would comment on the ad going, these guys are awesome, love this product, so-and-so, you got to check it out. Like they're never going to forward that email to their friends, but if they see it in a Facebook ad, they will gladly, if they like the product and they're a fan, which this particular client did have a good product, people are generous then and they want to share it with their friends and they want to tell people about this amazing product and information business that they were a customer of. So it really turned the ads around even more.
1: Uh, It's amazing. And email gives you so many opportunities. You can have a conversation with your buyers when they come through. You know, you can get some kind of sequence happening for prospects, especially with the card abandonment sequence, if they're now known to you. It is the ultimate sort of conversion in my own ecosystem. We do a lot of conversion via email because we're bringing people in from various places. And even current customers it's so important to continue that email connection. But like you said, you've got options to put powerful campaigns to your email list by uploading that email list and telling the platform to just run ads to those people. It's going to cost you very little and you get a maximum result. I think the best campaign I saw for that was my local surf shop when they were shutting down and we exported his email list out of his system. I think he was using MailChimp. And I loaded that up and we ran ads just in the geographic area and uh, we sold these t-shirts for $40 each and he made more money that weekend off a tiny, tiny little ad spend. He was absolutely shocked. That's so precise and so good. Email is a great delivery system if someone wants to be on your list and building your email list up with some paid traffic is a great idea. So Alana, let's do a little quick recap. Seven lessons learned from running a $20 million ad spend in multiple industries. You want to be tracking your data. That's number one. You want to deal with intent campaigns or people who are trying to buy things. So meeting them right there at that purchasing point, number two. Number three is you want to use your pixels and take advantage of all the AI and the built-in platform tools that do your bidding for you. And you want to train them well and you want to increase your ad spend as it gets better and better. Four is improving your copy and your offers. They've got to be top-notch. You can't just phone it in anymore. Five, cull your waste. Eliminate the non-performing campaigns and put more energy into the ones that are performing to get stratospheric gains in your campaigns. Six is you want the platforms to talk to each other. Alana's giving away her puzzle presentation at teachtraffic.com forward slash puzzle And you'll be able to get it there. I I strongly urge you to do that if you haven't seen this presentation. It makes sense of what normally doesn't make sense. It's how to have that interplay between the different platforms. You can easily just plug that in. And if you're already advertising on one or two of the platforms, you'll probably find a couple of links that you've missed that could just turn it up. And number seven is get your emails, collect your emails. So boost your whole campaigns with emails, drive people into opt-ins, get them to your own website, That, of course, really plays into helping the platforms talk to each other because you're getting that remarketing visit, you are building more exposure for your brand, and then, of course, uploading that email list lets you get a lot of social proof on your campaigns and it helps you time your offer via email and on the platform so your customer can't escape all that good stuff that you're trying to help them with to improve themselves. Did I get it, Alana?
0: You got it. You nailed it.
1: All right. Well, as always, thank you for coming and sharing. You know, I'm grateful that you're in our world, you're generous to our super fast business members, you're generous to my own campaigns, and I love to have you come and talk about this stuff. I wish you the most success with teachtraffic.com. It's great what you're doing out there. It is truly a unique platform that you've got because you're so experienced with the data. You're not the biggest name or the hypiest marketer, but you're probably the most knowledgeable and you certainly run the campaigns to get enough validation to know that what you're doing is working. If you want Alana to have a look at your own campaigns, head over to teachtraffic.com or reach out to her, contact her, let her know you heard this podcast and ask her if she's the right person to help you with whatever you've got going on. And uh, until next time, Alana, thank you so much. Thank
0: you so much, James. It's a pleasure as always.
1: We'll put the entire transcription up available at episode 795 at superfastbusiness.com. If you enjoyed this show, please share it with someone who needs to learn about traffic. If you haven't done so already, it'd be great if you leave a little review somewhere on the podcasting platform of your choice. Until uh, next episode.